Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on Security Speaking Podcast. I'm Rodney Bosch, Senior Editor of Security Sales and Integration. I am so pleased to be joined by Shannon Polson, a distinguished speaker who's going to be delivering the keynote address at the SEA Women in Security Forum during ISC West on October 7th. What to know about Shannon? Well, she specializes in grit. I looked that word up in the dictionary and uh, here's what I found. Firmness in mind or spirit, unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger. And if you know anything about Shannon Polsa, you know that description fits well. As a U.S. Army captain, she became one of the first women ever to pilot the Apache attack helicopter. These weren't just training runs on some base. She led two Apache flight platoons, including a deployment in, uh, to Bosnia and another assignment in Korea. Following her military service, she went on to work in the corporate world as a manager, leader at companies that included Microsoft. She's founder of the Grit Institute. She's published four books, including her latest, The Grit Factor, which is based on her own experiences, as well as interviews with other accomplished women in the armed services. She's climbed Denali in Alaska and Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. She's been a triathlete. She jumps out of airplanes, and by God, she's going to brave the Security Speaking podcast today. <laughs> Shannon, welcome. Thanks so much, Rodney. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Um, for some context for our talk today and to shed light on your work, give us an overview of the GRIT Institute and its purpose. Yeah, you know, I developed the GRIT Institute along with the research that I did for the GRIT Factor. And really the purpose is to bring the, the learnings behind GRIT, which as at the GRIT Institute, I really think of that as part of whole leader development. So GRIT as not a little discrete thing that you take off the shelf and put back, but actually that's integral to all of our characters, something that can be built something that can be developed. And that's very much a part of training at the GRIT Institute is developing that whole leader so that they're ready to go out and face any challenges and obstacles. The tagline of your new book, The GRIT Factor, is courage, resilience, and leadership in the most male-dominated organization in the world. That, of course, is reference to the U.S. Army, but security industry professionals will plainly see the relevance of your keynote at ISC West. Um, long a male-dominated industry, of course, uh, but making real strides to become more diverse. So I'd like to start out asking about diversity in the corporate workplace, but also in the context of small and medium businesses, which comprise a lot of um, companies in, in the security industry as well. So for a company that doesn't espouse diversity hiring or hasn't yet developed a diversity program, Talk about some of the perils of a non-inclusive workforce. Yeah, I mean, the perils are, are going to be the opposite of the, of the benefits if you have one, right? And the, the benefits of having one are a very clear connection to a better bottom line. So if, if that's the primary concern for, uh, for a private company or a public company, then that's, that's of clear relevance. A lack of diversity and inclusion means that you will have uh, less of that bottom line that is supported. But at the same, I think to put it fairly clearly, your um, 
a workforce that is, is not inclusive of a population that reflects our country is necessarily going to be less creative. You're going to have fewer ideas. You're not going to know how to market to the people that are buying. Uh, so there's lots of pieces that you can pull out that make that very, very relevant again to the revenue piece of a business. I think relative to the team itself, teams are stronger when they're more diverse. And all of the evidence is really, really clear on this. They've done so many studies at this point that a team is stronger when you have multiple opinions that are being expressed from multiple backgrounds, different experiences, different um, points of departure. And that really helps to elevate everything that a team is doing. So, so I guess the, uh, yeah, the, the primary concerns of not being diverse are diametrically the opposite of, of the benefits of, of having a more diverse and inclusive culture, because of course, diversity itself isn't enough, right? You have to have both the diversity and the opportunity for those diverse voices to contribute. Yeah. Well, let's drill down a little bit into some of those benefits. You mentioned the bottom line that, of course, is yeah. the overriding benefit for, for so many companies. But I mean, from a... Sure. Uh, business culture, office culture, culture standpoint, can, can you just riff a little bit on, um, on that? Yeah, I mean, from the culture standpoint, I think what, what you really are doing is developing a culture of respect, right? And that means that uh, we, we are respectful of each other, we're respectful of what we bring to a, an organization. And I think that is, it, it seems so basic, and yet it is such a challenge for such a number of places still uh, because of either long-held views or things that people might think are funny, but they aren't uh, thinking enough about other people. There's not enough empathy that's part of that. So I think one of the biggest things to understand is that, that for example, respect and empathy are not at all incongruent with, uh, with, with outstanding business performance, and in fact, are tied to increased business performance. So at the end of the day, you're looking for a culture that encourages people to bring their full selves to work, to really be able to, to give all of their efforts in pursuit of the business goal instead of fighting some kind of strange cultural resistance to their being there. And that, that obviously automatically makes a, a company much stronger. So I think those are some of the immediate elements of culture that are, that are incredibly relevant for all of us. Okay, yeah. What does an actual diversity program look like? Can you lend some nuts and bolts advice on, on how that might be initiated? Wow, that's a huge question. I think one of the, the questions that I would start with asking is, uh, does everybody around me look like me? Does everybody around me think like me? And if so, uh, then you've definitely got some work to do. I think uh, many companies are finding that relative to uh, the purchasing power of various groups, their companies are not reflective of those groups to whom they're trying to sell. And if you're trying to sell to somebody uh, that you don't understand, you're going to have a really, really tough time with that. So instituting a diversity and inclusion program, I think uh, you'll, you'll want somebody to advise you on that for sure. Um, I think you're really going to want to look for people who have different opinions and differing backgrounds and uh, I mean, certainly a mix of male and female, certain mixes in, in ethnicities, and, and all of that is going to provide a much more textured and complex uh, perspective on both your business and, and any marketing that you're doing in your business as well. So I'm not answering your question directly because it's a huge question, yeah. and, uh, but I'd love to work with any of the companies here that have any questions on that that I can help them work through. But I'd start with saying, hey, how do we make this a place that represents the people to whom we're trying to sell. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's steer back to this concept of grit. Sure. How does one develop grit? 
reading your book would be a good start, I presume. Yeah, that for sure. I mean, I wrote The Grit Factor because it is the book that I wish that I had had. And not just starting out, but actually also encountering any kind of challenges and obstacles, which we are all in. I think I heard the other day, we're all in the same sea in different boats, but we're all in the same sea and it's pretty darn turbulent right now. Um, and so The Grit Factor is the book that I wish that I would have had. And I realized when a young leader reached out to me and asked for me to be her mentor that um, I, I felt like I had a lot to share, but at the same time, my experience was limited to my experience, right? I was one person. I had integrated as one of the first women to fly the Apache. That's certainly a unique experience that may or may not apply to some of the challenges she was facing. And so that's when I started the work of reaching out to and interviewing dozens of other leaders in the vanguard of their fields. They happen to be women, they happen to be military. Um, but because of that, they really all faced this double crucible of working in incredibly challenging situations, whether you're a man or a woman or whoever you are, but also oftentimes working in an environment where they weren't welcome. And so they had this double fight on a daily basis. Um, and so, yeah, so developing grit, I think one of the most important things to understand is that it doesn't sit by itself. It's part of the whole person, right? Uh, but that it can be developed, it can be nurtured, it can be built. And there are some pretty specific exercises to that end in one of the chapters of the book. The whole book is, is looking at the whole leader concept very much. So again, I would, would commend that to you, commit, learn, and launch. It's really mm -hmm. being very firmly rooted in the past, completely engaged and present in the present, and then looking towards the future with several different strategic perspectives. But in that middle stage is, I call that learning. So it's commit, learn, and launch, right? That middle stage is learning. And that's where we really borrow some exercises from the Army's Master Resilience Training Program. And they're relatively simple, but they're quite profound. And they're scientifically proven that they build up our resilience. They build up our grit. And those come from the University of Pennsylvania's Positive Psychology Program. So it's not just a military thing. It's something that's been in the works for decades. Uh, and it is something that works for every single one of us. Excellent. So grit in leadership, that's a tightly woven thing. Yeah, you know, the way that I've thought about it, because they are certainly separate things also, is that when you are able to show grit, and I have defined that as a dogged determination in the face of difficult circumstances. Um, Angela Duckworth defines it as passion and perseverance towards a very long-term goal. Either way you define it, um, grit, if you exercise grit, it seems to me that you are showing yourself to be a leader. There's so many people that have such a hard time with that. And to be a leader can be a lonely thing, um, to do something that's unpopular, to make choices or, or decisions that are difficult. That's really tough and leadership requires grit. So I do find that they are very closely connected. Uh, the Venn diagram certainly overlaps for sure. Okay, so I'm from California and Pamela Harris is someone that's very familiar to me as a result of her political career here. Um, she's long been described as someone who is exceedingly ambitious. But that term ambition or, or ambitious is used and applied in sort of a condescending way. And I mention her only as an example, but do you have a message for young professional women about ambition vis-a-vis -vis working in a male-dominated you know, workplace or industry? Yeah, I think all of us need to step back and realize uh, or ask ourselves why ambition is applied to any 
professional woman in a condescending way and is typically not applied to men in condescending ways. So first of all, ask yourself that question. Uh, hopefully, um, hopefully that will help to question some of the underlying assumptions that we make as a culture because ambition is about wanting and um, and I commend anybody who has ambition to do things well and to do things right and for young folks and especially young women who are entering an industry be ambitious my gosh go for the it's it's one of the three things that I bring out in the the launch part of the grit factor again we have commit learn and launch past present and future right and in that launch piece one of the chapters is about audacity because a leader has to be audacious. And if you're a woman in a mostly male-dominated industry, you're going to have to be audacious. By virtue of entering that industry, you are already being audacious, but you're going to have to continue to do that. And that is where I'd recommend to any leader, but especially young women who uh, sometimes will be less willing to put themselves out there because they're, they're accurately believing that they are being judged differently. There's science behind all of this, right? So women are judged more harshly for taking risks. They're judged more harshly for failing if those, um, if those risks don't come to pass. The reality is any leader that is going to make real change, that's really going to make a difference, has to be willing to put him or herself out there to take a risk, to be willing to fail, to understand that failure is part of the path to success. And I like to say that it's not failure that matters, it's what you do with it that counts. So shut out all those voices that are making any kind of a judgment whatsoever. If you're trying to do something that is good, that is connected to your core values, connected to your core purpose, and that's where I start with the book, by the way, in the commit phase, core values, core purpose, your own story, stay connected to those. If you're connected to those and you're working towards something that's good, you know, those other voices, they're not worth listening to. Stay focused on the work. So that's my message. Stay focused on the work. Yeah. In, in that kind of same context, is, is assertiveness kind of the same thing as ambition? Or do you view those as two wholly different things to have to contend with as a young professional? Yeah, I think ambition, is, I think of that more as, um, as, as a more generalized outlook and assertiveness as a tool that needs to be used in certain circumstances for all leaders in certain circumstances. The thing about assertiveness is that every leader is very different and every leader, every individual leads differently. So some will employ assertiveness at certain points when they might not in others and, and, uh, and every person will be different in that way. But there's a time and a place for assertiveness and that again is something that, that women are, are very uh, often judged more critically for. But at the end of the day, again, you've got to do what you've got to do and focus on the work. And assertiveness is going to be one of the tools that you'll need to employ. You mentioned mentoring earlier. I know that's a real big deal for you. Um, has meant a lot in your career path and your mission in life. Um, speaking to those business executives and managers that, that uh, could be tuning in today, can you talk to them directly about the importance of, you know, implementing a mentoring program and, and what that might mean to their, to their organization? Yeah, mentoring is a really amazing opportunity to connect people and um, and really in an ideal mentorship program. And again, this is a huge question because these are there are very specific ways to go about this. But ideally, both people are learning from each other. It's not a top down approach. It's not somebody up on a pedestal preaching down to somebody else. Both people really are learning from each other. One of the things that often fails in mentorship programs is trying to match two women just because they're women or two guys just because they're guys, right? And there really should be some kind of a 
a personal connection in some other way. Oftentimes, and actually in, in the book, I, I talked to Marsh Carter, who is, uh, has a phenomenal career, both military and business career. And I talked to one of his mentees, Major General Don Dunlop. And, uh, and she was a White House fellow. And in the course of that, they assigned her to a female mentor, but there was no chemistry there at all. They had nothing in common, except that they happened to be women. Um, and so that really wasn't effective, but she ended up running into Marsh and she and Marsh are both pilots and he loves to mentor. And, and, and the way that he has suggested for, especially for young women leaders, is that oftentimes the best mentor is a man who has daughters who are now grown up and into the workforce, right? So that man is now being exposed, that male leader is now being exposed to some of the challenges that women face through the experiences that his daughter is having. And so that person can often be a good mentor for that young woman professional. So I think the, the key is to not get stuck into thinking that women only mentor women or men only mentor men. Um, and in fact, that can be harmful in the relationship and also in the potential for advancement. But the opportunity to share strategic questions typically, right? This is different than somebody that you're going to and asking for tactical advice usually, but it's usually more strategic. How do I consider this transition? How do I you know, consider this, this potential obstacle? Or I'm looking at business development and I'm kind of looking at these different paths. What would you suggest I look at? Those are kind of the larger, more strategic questions that a mentor can be incredibly helpful for. The second part of that for anyone who's listening is to understand that men tend to informally mentor men all the time you know, whether it's on the golf course or over a beer after work and recognize those places that are happening naturally and ensure that that's including everybody in your company. Because if you're having, you know, a whiskey night and it's just for the guys and you have three young women leaders in your company, you're excluding leaders in your company from that opportunity. And that's, that's simply not an acceptable solution as a leader. So you need to come up with something that includes all of the leaders of your company without asking anybody to compromise core values. And, um, and ensure that you're, you're equitably offering that kind of opportunity to, to all of the leaders that you're working to develop. So um, you're just this well-regarded speaker. You, you go see Amazon and talk to their people and T-Mobile and all these corporate giants and In-N-Out Burger even. What are you most <laughs> asked when you go to these corporations? Do you, how do you find their own situation what what is the pulse of the nation right now in the corporate world or is there just a whole hell of a lot of learning still to be done or how are we doing out there I, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be done and a lot to be learned the reality is that we're all especially in the last six months facing challenges that we could never have anticipated and the waters are turbulent um the the horizon is unclear the anxiety is very very high i think fear is high and uh, people have been very honest and raw with some of that. I think they've, they've needed the, uh, the space to be able to share that. Um, but I would say the questions that I get asked most often, one of them is, can you build grit? And the answer is yes, you can. Whether you're talking about your kids, which people also ask me about, uh, or whether you're talking about your employees or yourself. And those are very specific exercises, again, in the grit factor that will, will help to, uh, to, to address that. We won't go through them today necessarily, but... Um, but you can build grip. In a nutshell, doing hard things helps you do hard things. But there's other things as well. There's other things that, that will seem very simple, but actually will help you to build grit. And so we discuss that in almost every conference that I ever speak at that comes up as a question. Um, I am often asked, how can I build grit in my kids? 
<laughs> and the answer, honestly, is it's the same. I mean, honestly, it's the same. And I use some of those same practices with my own kids that you're going to read about in the grit factor that I recommend to you and to your employees. I mean, that's it's it's a human nature sort of a thing. Um, the other part of that is right now is is what do we do when the horizon is unclear? That's what I'm hearing right now. Um, how do you exercise? I mean, grit sounds. Oh wow, that's kind of hardcore, and I'm pretty tired right now, or my team is really tired, or we've just done a round of layoffs. Like, how do we get through this time right now when we can't see the future? And Angela Duckworth says passion and perseverance towards very long-term goals. We don't know what those very long-term goals are right now because the, the horizon is so unclear. And what I say to that are a couple of things. Um, I also I always harken back to the anecdote of, of Admiral J. Dale, who was a, a prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam for seven and a half years. And one of the things that, that he says that I think is absolutely critical is you can never lose faith in the ultimate success, in the ultimate end state, but you have to remain grounded in the realities of today. So what does that mean? I think that means celebrating small successes often right now. So whether that's weekly, I think that's a great idea to celebrate both personal and professional successes weekly right now. Really allow yourself to celebrate those. Don't put goals on the calendar that you have no control over. And the right now there's a lot more than we're all comfortable with not having control over. But maybe look out three or four years and say, hey, you know, in three or four years, my family or my group of friends, we're going to take a vacation and this is where we're going to go and start to build some excitement around that, do some reading about it, start to, um, to look forward to something on the horizon. So having something to look forward to realistically on the horizon, which is not, by the way, in six months, right? Realistically, look out three years. Say, so what am I going to do in three years? What would be the thing that I've always wanted to do? And in the meantime, how can I celebrate these small successes? And then the last thing I, and I've been leaving the last few podcasts with this because I just hear again and again how tired people are and how worn out they are. And um, the thing I would say is you've got to take care of yourself, right? You've got to make sure that those ways that you're taking care of yourself are not harmful. So I, I will speak to, for myself, that I um, had a lot, a lot too much wine early on in the pandemic. <laughs> and that's not actually really taking care of yourself, right? I mean, taking care of yourself is drinking your water. It's getting your exercise. It's making sure you're sleeping and spending time with people that you love. And if you're living alone, then that means doing this, you know, spending mm -hmm. time over Zoom with people that you love. But, but cultivating those parts that are healthy for your body, your mind, and your spirit are really, really important right now to get through this time. And we'll all come out of it. There's no question. But we've got to take baby steps and focus on what matters most right now. We will end it on a sunny note. I want to invite everybody to uh, definitely check out Sharon Paulson's keynote during ISC West at the CEO Women in Security Forum. It's October 7th at noon Eastern time. Thanks for joining me today, Sharon. Good luck with the keynote.